0: When I was younger, I always loved Christmas for the reason that all children love Christmas. The presents, right? We know we're supposed to say at a certain age that we love Christmas because the family comes over, and we know we're supposed to say that we love Christmas because we get all this time with our loved ones, but... Really, the reason children love Christmas, usually, I'm sure there's exceptions, all the children in here today are surely exceptions, but usually the reason we love Christmas are the gifts. And I remember hearing things when I was younger, like, it is better to give than to receive, and I would nod my head like I thought I was supposed to, oh sure, sure, I'm sure it is. Really believing that the receiving was the best part of Christmas. And of course, as you grow and you mature, that starts to change over time. My parents always went all out for Christmas. It was our big holiday, and we were always very blessed with presents. But then, when you get a little bit older, things start to change. It changed a lot for me when I was blessed to have a niece and a nephew. And I remember one year in particular, I don't know how how the change happened throughout, but I remember realizing the change had already occurred one Christmas morning when my nephew was six and my niece was four, and I sat there excited to see them open their Christmas gifts. Christmas had become for me more about the giving than about the receiving. And the joy and the excitement that they had and realizing that I was able to be a part of that was just incredibly special. Those gifts each representing some of the love that we feel to to those kids. Not that you have to give gifts to say I love you, but that is what it was for me. And realizing that day that there's something special about being the one who gets to give. This season during Advent, we're looking at Advent themes a little differently. The past few years, we've looked at how we could have love or joy or peace, how we could have them during Advent. But this year instead, we're going to look at how we can give those things to others. Since our theme today is love, we're looking at how we can show love to those around us. And we're starting in the best possible place. We're starting with Mary. I want to clear up, I want to begin by clearing up a misunderstanding about Mary. Unfortunately, she's become a very controversial character. Some of this is because of the beliefs of some parts of the church, and sadly, some of this is because different groups of Christians largely misunderstand each other when we talk about her. But we have an opportunity to talk about the mother of Jesus here today, and I want to take it. But I'm also going to give a fair warning. I'm not going to say everything there is to say about her. And I'm not going to say everything there is to say about the way other churches believe about her here. And that's okay. But please don't take me not speaking about something as some kind of hidden agreement with it. We can't say all the things we believe each time we preach on a controversial subject. But if you have any thoughts or questions about what we believe about Mary, I'd love to talk to you about it. So I want to start in kind of an odd place. There's a famous prayer associated with the Virgin Mary. It's called the Hail Mary. And it goes like this. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Something that you may not know is this prayer comes almost entirely from Luke chapter 1, the chapter we're in this morning. Some of it comes from the angel Gabriel when he greets her. The first words he says in the old translation is Hail Mary, full of grace. And some of it comes from our passage this morning. One part of the prayer that's difficult, though, for us, that isn't clearly from Scripture, is the title that she's given, Mother of God. Now, when we hear that, our first reaction is usually concern or confusion. We might think to ourselves when we hear her called the Mother of God, but wait a second, Mary didn't give birth to the Trinity? She's not the mother of of all of God, God is eternal. And we're right. Anyone who says that God did not exist before Mary is very, very deeply confused. But the title Mother of God isn't about Mary. It's about Jesus. You see, way back in the first four centuries of the church, there was a heresy, a a, a false belief that just kept coming up again and again. And this heresy was that Jesus was born entirely human. You see, some people couldn't understand how he could be both, so they believed he was born entirely human, and then he sort of took on some godhood during his life, usually they thought at his baptism. He was kind of adopted into godhood, and so they called this view adoptionism. You don't need to know that, and also, I'm going to go quickly through the notes. You don't have to write them down. I actually printed them out, and they're here in the front pew if you want the PowerPoint later. Now there are a lot of problems with this idea that God was adopted, or that Jesus was adopted into Godhood. But first and foremost, it denies something that's central to our faith. You see, we believe that in Jesus there was a union of human nature and God. So that Jesus was 100% human and 100% God. If he's born a human and sort of takes on Godhood, then he's He's more human than God, but we don't believe that. We believe he's 100% and 100%. And without that union, without that, that two percent present in Jesus, there would be no possible salvation. Because only God could be the perfect sacrifice for sin. Only God could live a perfect life sinless life. And at the same time, you would have to be human to pay for humanity's sins. So God must be, or Jesus must be both God and human, 100% and 100%. So to combat this heresy, the church declared that Jesus was already divine when he was in the womb, The baby that Mary gave birth to, that she was the mother to, was God the Son in a body. That's what the title, Mother of God, means. It's about Jesus. It's a declaration that he was already divine when he was born. So, I want to have everyone repeat something with me this morning. This is something that I imagine has never been repeated by the congregation in this church before, but we're going to do it want everyone to say, Mary the, of God. Mary, the mother of God. Now, I imagine that for some of you, that was a little difficult. Something that we Protestants have been guilty of in the past is reacting to Catholic beliefs about Mary by going too far the other direction. Since we feel like perhaps they, they go too far with revering her, we, we tend to go the other way towards feeling like she's just not exceptional. And that is absolutely a mistake. Now, I'm Protestant on purpose. But while we don't agree with some of Catholic teaching, we shouldn't overcompensate for it either. So let's talk about who Mary was. Mary's about 14, maybe 15. And she's engaged to a man that's probably about 30. Now, this is wrong to us today, and it should be. There's good reason why that feels wrong to us today. But in the ancient world, it made a lot of sense. At 30, you're probably able to provide for a family and probably able to protect them. At about 15, all of your childbearing years are ahead of you. So those two ages coming together made sense for them. This is not a prescription for what we should do today. Also, Mary was probably uneducated and almost certainly poor. So a young woman in her time and her place would have probably been both of those things. And since she was poor, uneducated, and young, she had almost no social standing. She's certainly not someone that you would expect to respond heroically to the call that God was about to give her. The person you'd expect to respond heroically to God's call would be maybe an older, educated man, right? Like a priest. He'd respond to God's call the way he was supposed to, except that earlier in Luke chapter 1, Zechariah didn't believe. He was struck mute because he didn't believe the angel Gabriel. You might expect the wife of the patriarch of the Jews, Sarah, the wife of Abraham, to respond with faith to God's promise. But she didn't. She laughed. You might expect Moses to respond with obedience to when God called him out of the burning bush. But he didn't. He said, please send someone else. You might expect Joshua to boldly receive God's commission. But he didn't. God has to tell him again and again, have courage. Now, all of these heroes are heroes for good reason, and all of them did eventually come around, but Mary didn't need to. You see, leaders and prophets and priests, they all had these visits with messages of God, and Mary responds in a way that none of them did. She responded with faithful obedience and courage, and that is what makes her exceptional. Exceptional. She says to the angel Gabriel, I'm the Lord's servant, may your word be fulfilled. And then she leaves town, because she's engaged, and she doesn't think there's any way that her fiancé is going to believe that the baby in her womb belongs to the Lord. In fact, one of the ways that this story shows how true it is, is through Matthew chapter 1, when Gabriel also has to appear to Joseph. You see, if we were going to make up this story, we would probably say that the Gabriel appears to Mary, and Joseph, because of her virtue and his faithfulness, just believed her. But that's not what happens. And I think that most of us here can really understand that. The angel Gabriel appears to Joseph and assures him of what's happened. So Mary, she's in trouble, and she knows it. She's accepted the Lord's call, but her parents could disown her for breaking her engagement to Joseph. Joseph could have her stoned because once they're engaged, they belong to each other. So she goes to meet her cousin, who was also pregnant. And as soon as Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, her baby leapt in her womb, which makes John the Baptist the first one to respond to the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, says, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. And in response, we get this beautiful and clear picture from Mary's heart. This is her song, and we're going to read it together. It's our scripture this morning, so please stand with me. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has been mindful of the humble state of His servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. (laughs) My passage ended there, sorry about that. You may be seated. Now these words come from a heart whose eyes are focused on the Lord. So this is Mary. This is who she was. This is why she was exceptional. And today we're talking about showing love. And as we do so, I want to draw our applications from Mary's story and from her song. In her song at the beginning, Mary sings, My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And do you remember what she said to the angel Gabriel when he gave her that call from the Lord that was going to change her entire life? Her response was, I am the Lord's servant. You see, showing love to those around us requires us to take the eyes of our heart off of ourselves. And it's so easy for us to walk through life being distracted by the things that are expected of us, being distracted by the things that we're going through, the way we feel, our health, the stresses in our lives, and the eyes of our heart become focused on us. The first step to being able to really show love to those around you is to change that. To put the eyes of our heart on God, to remember as Mary did that we are his. When something is asked or expected of us or when we go through something difficult to have, the refrain of our heart be, I'm the Lord's servant. To put him, to truly put him first every day, every moment, in every situation. And if we can do that, we'll be free. And what I mean by that is this, when I'm, when I'm consumed with what I'm going through, when I'm consumed with my stresses, or my frustrations, or my wants, or my needs, that can be exhausting. It can make, and it can make it so difficult to really, truly see the needs another person has. But if I put my, my eyes on the Lord, my whole perspective will change. I'll see myself as he does, as his beloved child and a vessel he wants to use to love those around me. Now, I'm not saying ignore your needs. I'm not saying don't take care of yourself. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying we need to change the focus of our heart from us to him. And then he'll use us and call us to show his love to those around us around us. Christian love, don't put the slide, oh, never mind, I was going to see if anyone remembered our definition for love. Love means to seek another's highest good. This is a very old definition, it comes from about the 5th century. To, To selflessly put another before yourself, to truly seek their highest good. That's what it means, biblically, to love someone. That's what Christian love looks like. Now, as we enter the Advent season, we have a couple of distractions brewing. Some of you are responsible for Christmas in your house, and here's what I mean by that. The decorating is yours to do, the cooking is yours to do, the shopping is yours to do, right? And especially if you have other things going on, that adds and it adds and it adds and it becomes very stressful. And I imagine it could be very easy to allow the focus of our heart to be on a to-do list. I want to tell you that I think that you will experience Christmas in an entirely different way if you are able to at the beginning of every day, at the beginning of every task or event or expectation. Say, Lord, this is for you. Use me to love the people around me. I just imagine that Christmas might be completely different. And what if we, for those of us who aren't responsible for making Christmas happen in our home, I'd ask for a show of hands, but I don't want to call anyone out. Not that we are the lazy ones, some of us may be, but but we might be the ones who just are not as good at this kind of thing or who have other things going on. What if we made it our job to look at the ones who are making Christmas happen? To look for needs that need to be met and to meet them. What if we let God use us to love those around us in a way we've never done before? What if we look at them with with the eyes that God has? As a beloved child of his, look for a need and meet it. And we can do this everywhere. This is something that children can do for their parents and parents can do for their children, to look at a need and meet it. I can't tell you how many times I had a young man tear up because I told him I was proud of him because it's just something that his parents would forget to say sometimes. What if you could say that to be intentional with your words for those that are closest to you during Christmas? What if parents and children could really look at each other, really look at each other, and put the the stuff in second place, to worry less about the stuff and really show love? I think Christmas would feel real, even if the tree never got decorated. That might make Christmas special in a new way this year. For those of you who are married, what if you looked at your spouse and asked yourself the question, what's a need that I'm not good at remembering to meet? What's just something I let slide away? It's not that I've never done it or I never do it, but what what do I just forget? Maybe it's spending that time, maybe taking a day off of work to have a day. Maybe it's your words. Maybe it's the giving of gifts. You get so consumed with buying gifts for other people, you forget to share those together. Whatever it is, what if you could look at them with love, look for a need, and meet it? I think that Christmas might be experienced in an entirely new in a different way. And one more. Not well, we'll do two more. Your friends and your family, right? I was going to move past that, but we should talk about it. Everybody has that member of their family that when they come for the holidays, you're just not sure it's going to go well, right? And as I look around, some of you are nodding, some of you are not. If you don't know who it is, it might be you. You know that one that just tests your patience? that one that that can just get a little bit frustrating, that one who can make it hard to really think about Jesus in the middle of the holiday season. You probably just had them over for dinner last week, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. The one who won't stop talking about politics, or the one who won't stop bringing up old mistakes or old, old family problems. What if you looked at them, and instead of the frustration... Instead of the angst, you just ask yourself, how can I love them today? Maybe you're in an argument with someone that's a friend or a family member now. And I'm not saying just put it away. It's actually not good to just put an argument away. But you could say, I know that we're we're not on the best terms right now, but I want you to know I love you. I wonder how that could change the experience of Christmas. And then the next, what about your neighbors? You know, something that used to be common in our country was for people to know their neighbors, and I certainly am one of the people that's guilty about not being good at this anymore. I see my neighbors most often on Tuesday. Do you know why on Tuesday? That's when I put the trash cans out, right? And that's when they put the trash cans out, and every now and then, that happens at the same time, and we wave. For many of you, that's probably also the extent of your interaction with your neighbors. But what if you could just make a moment to get to know them? What if you could step out in faith and invite them over for dinner? I don't know these people. How could I invite them over for dinner? Well, you don't know these people. That's why you should invite them over for dinner. What if you could look for a way to show love To those who are in your orbit, even when it's not easy, even when it's not comfortable. You see, this becomes possible. It becomes something that we're capable of. To take the the eyes of our heart off of ourselves when we belong to the Lord. You see, we are filled with his Holy Spirit and empowered to love as he calls us to. But it takes our willingness. It takes our choice. And so, my call to you today is to be like Mary. I think we have another picture of her. (laughs) To be like Mary. To recognize who you are. You're a servant of the Lord's. Your day is His, it's not yours. Christmas is His, it's not yours. And while it's so easy for all of us to get distracted, and because we get distracted by good things, we get distracted by the family expectations and the food and the preparing and the gifts, and all of those are good. But what if we, in the midst of everything else, decided first and foremost, I'm the Lord's servant. He has blessed me. And I want to be a vessel to show his love to the people around me. You know how you go through Christmas some years and it just feels like you're not in the Christmas spirit and you just can't get there. No matter how many times you listen to your favorite Christmas songs, no matter how much you decorate your house, Christmas just doesn't doesn't show up. I want to tell you that I think if we'll be intentional about showing love for the glory of the Lord, to celebrate the birth of Jesus to the people around us. This year, Christmas is going to show up. This year, it's going to be present. And this year, your Christmas can be different than it's ever been before. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you Lord, and we are thankful. We're thankful for an example from your word, Mary. The mother of Jesus. The mother of God. Mary. this exceptional woman who responds with a faithful obedience that we aspire to imitate. Lord, give us that faithful obedience no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're experiencing, help us to respond as she did by remembering who we are. We are yours. And if we hold on to that, Lord, we believe, we know that you can use us to do anything. Lord, that's what we ask for this year. Show us your power, your greatness, your goodness by loving your children through us. Make us vessels, mouthpieces, hands and feet for you to love those around us. And Lord, we pray that while you're at this work, you would open our eyes to it so that we could see the way that you're moving in and around and through us. And we pray that Christmas this year would be new and different and richer than ever before because it's saturated with you. We pray this in your son's holy and precious name. Amen.